Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio, where we will be speaking with Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill, who is representative of the 11th district in the great state of New Jersey. And I will be going into a bit, Lou, as I get into that introduction, all of the things she has done. Her bio is quite impressive. So um, get in what uh, banter we can before I go into that lengthy introduction. (laughs) Uh, Well, banter isn't uh, necessary. We do enough of it in our life. Um, I'm really looking forward to having this uh, conversation with uh, uh, Congresswoman uh, Cheryl, which I've been given permission to now call her Mikey, which I I really like that name. Uh, Your 10 years of service in the military as a helicopter pilot, and now, and there's a lot in between, there's about three pages of bio. So we're going to take it from helicopter to congresswoman, and we're going to talk about policy, past, present, future, if any. So well, that sounds great. Thanks so much for well, having me. Uh, we really appreciate it. appreciate that, uh, especially now with your being uh, busy with your uh, reelection this coming November, with only about 50 days to go. Uh, so you must be a pretty busy person at this point, wouldn't you say? Well, I, I would say like so many parents, I'm extra busy because uh, we're doing virtual learning in my house, and I have four school-age kids. So that kind of adds oh. to everything going on right now. Oh, wow. Well, maybe we should be doing a show about uh, woman in business and politics and how she balances her private political, uh, and personal life. I I would would love to listen to that show. When you guys find that person that has figured that out, I'm going to listen to that show because I need to. Well, well, actually we do have another show called Wham. Uh, we have three hosts on that and they run different shows and that's what the theme of the show is about. Uh, there's also another one. There's also another one called, uh, uh, Full Time with Amy, who is an advertising marketing company and has uh, two girls at home and uh, married and uh, how she runs a 15-person uh, uh, media agency. So uh, you guys are really out there doing your thing. And uh, we started WHAM at about the same time as Harvey Weinstein exposed himself. Oops, sorry, not exposed himself, but where he showed up that he was a, a malandering fool. Oh, wow. So that's, oh, wow. That said, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thanks again for having me. Um, I, I was really excited to come on. I know you guys um, know John Kennedy at NJMEP um, and have really been supportive of that organization, and that's something that I think has been critical in our district, but especially critical as we're trying to figure out how to support people throughout a coronavirus. Um, I've been looking at the domestic production of PPE gear 
and how we can support um, NJMEP to help with that and, and across the nation. So I really appreciate all of your help, um, all your focus on domestic manufacturing. I think it's critical. It's always been critical, but now more than ever. That's for sure. And uh, can, can I give advance notice, Tim, about NJMEP? Well, let me uh, give our listeners an idea of who we're speaking with because Congresswoman Cheryl, and I have to ask you, Congresswoman, if I I can call you Mikey, would that be okay during the show? No, only Lou. No, No, please, both of you, call me Mikey. Okay. Uh, Congresswoman uh, Cheryl has uh, been with the the United States Naval Academy, and she graduated in 1994, and did 10 years of active service in the United States military in the Navy as a Sea King helicopter pilot and worked on the battle watch floor uh, in the Iraq during the Iraq invasion. She was also a flag aide to the deputy commander in chief of the U.S. Atlantic fleet and served as a Russian policy officer, which I find fascinating, uh, overseeing the nuclear treaty obligations between the U.S. Navy and the Russian Federation Navy. She attended law school. Uh, has a degree from Georgetown University, worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Jersey, and serves as freshman whip for the New Democrat Coalition, sits on the House Armed Services Committee, the House Science, Space, and Technology Committee, and the Environmental Subcommittee for the Science, Space, and Technology Committee. Congresswoman, you are a very busy person. I'd let you know I... I feel like I'm not alone. So many of us, I think, assume that if we were working from home and doing um, a lot of our work at home, we would get back a couple hours of our day. But instead, we found that, you know, <laughs> when you drive to an event or you walk to an event, you, you get a little downtime for a second. And I finally had to tell my team, I said, you know, I'm going to, guys, I need at least 15 minutes between meeting, you know, one meeting a day to run down to the kitchen and get a snack. <laughs> it's just, it's back to back to back. So um, I, I think uh, a lot of people are feeling very busy right now. And, and homeschooling four is a Herculean task. Um, we did that for a bit in a, in a prior life. Um, I don't envy you the task. Neither my wife nor I are what I would call a teacher uh, other than, or a parent, but forget teaching because I discovered one thing when my, when my daughter came to me with her fourth grade math homework and the new math. And I, by the way, was a math major. I couldn't do fourth (laughs) grade math the way they're doing it. (laughs) So that's what happens when you don't keep up. Yeah. Yeah, there there's some funny um, YouTube videos from parents online about new math. But I um, I yeah I I have to say it, it's really um, a struggle, and unfortunately, a lot of the burden is falling on moms, um, and really yeah. the the ability to work and deal with um, the homeschooling. And all the other child care responsibilities 
uh, is has really just been, you know, really worries me about the ability of women to get through this um, and, and to still have the economic, act, you know, opportunities that they had prior to COVID. It's it's been difficult. I think a lot of families. Um, are making choices. Childcare has become very difficult to find. When schools aren't in session full-time, many of us have relied on school for some level of childcare. Um, I, I am sitting, I'm talking to you right now, I'm actually down in Washington, D.C., because we are in session in Congress, and I, my oldest daughter just started high school, and I was concerned about the transition. She literally just started Thursday. I brought her down here with me to try to help oversee that as I'm trying to go back to the floor to vote and, and do the zoom conferences. It's, um, it's so not. So you're trying to help run parents. the country while home teaching your daughter. <laughs> exactly. And, and the, and I can tell you, I'm on a chat group with other members, you know, members of Congress, moms who are having the same struggle. And then of course I'm on with moms that are just in my community who are having the same struggle and and I have to tell you, single moms, I'm not sure how they're doing it because it is a struggle just between my husband and myself um, to kind of tag team through this. And, and we're not, believe me, we are not, I, I'm not going to write the book on this. Uh, you know, I don't feel like we are really setting the standard for how you do this well. But it, we have single moms who don't, yeah, who don't even work from home. Everybody's who have writing to go a book now. Yeah. <laughs> So it well, is, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a I, struggle. I, I admire, uh, I, I admire uh, mothers in this role and all of their other roles. I deeply admire single moms. I don't have a clue how they do it. There, there probably will, coming out of this experience, be something that happens in Washington to address this kind of an issue. Because it's one of the many issues I'm sure you grapple with that needs to be addressed on the national level. Exactly. And I think we're, you know, I'm looking right now at different work share opportunities, at supporting the child care industry, which even before coronavirus, I can tell you, as, you know, when so many of us got pregnant for the first time, I don't think we had any idea how difficult the child care aspect was going to be. Um, many child care centers don't even take um, you know, children, you know, at six weeks, and so many people only have maternity leave for six weeks. So it's really been a crisis situation for families across the country. I think it's what drives many women out of the workforce in the first place, and then when they try to reenter, they're they're not on par with many of their male peers. It's a critical issue that I I think has really come to a head right now, and I am hoping that the the silver lining of this is that we can address many of these issues that have been going on for decades now. Do you feel as though that a policy is going to develop out of this? So I, I have been talking, you know, I started um, when we, we had, when we were at the height of coronavirus. So for New Jersey, that was about mid April. We started to talk about, what it was going to look like to get our economy back open. So I started the Northeast Regional Recovery Task Force with um, Republican Representative Pete King from Long Island and other Republican and Democratic members from the Northeast. And one of the meetings we had was with the Bipartisan Policy Center and the YMCA specifically about child care. 
and they had some, you know, we, we put out a white paper after that. I think that has started some of the legislation we're working on in Congress um, to really support people. I'll also tell you something that I have found so interesting in my short time in Congress is I am seeing more and more people taking paternity leave, you know, people that work on the Hill taking paternity leave. And, and so many um, men have had um, paternity leave after they had a child. Um, but if they were like my husband, it, you know, it just, they didn't really take it. It wasn't kind of a done thing. And so to see this becoming something that people do, I think is really important too, because it's really that first year, especially of a child's life where those transitions are so hard for working parents that I think having um, maternity leave and paternity leave gives families a lot more flexibility. And I think also help get so many dads invested in the process too, um, which I just thought, I, I think that too has been really a great step. No doubt. Uh, Mikey, what kind of policy work are you involved with with the various committees you sit on and in Congress in general? Sure. So I sit on the um, House Armed Services Committee. As you mentioned, I'm a, a veteran and um, have, have worked in national security much of my life. So that's a great committee, especially because we have Picatinny Arsenal in our district, which is a, a really innovative base that provides the majority, you know, one of the largest employers in the district. So um, that's been great. And the thing that um, really has been helpful recently, when I told you a little bit at the beginning about my work with manufacturing, one of the problems is we were trying, we had people calling us to say, I have a machine that can produce um, sterilization for PPE gear. I have a machine that can produce PPE gear. But the critical part, the difficulty was understanding the logistics, the supply chain, who's selling to, was it going to be worthwhile for this company to sink money into this production? Were there going to be purchasers on the other end? Was it, did the community even need this gear? So NJMEP has been pursuing a national supply chain database for years, several years. And the pandemic has really highlighted why it's been so critical. As we were trying to work through these problems, it was really difficult to understand the national supply chain. So Senator Menendez and the NJMEP worked together on a bill that would um, help sustain this process, and now I've taken that up in the House. So with the National Defense Authorization Act, that's what, the, that's what my committee, the House Armed Services Committee, passes. We authorized $10 million for the National Institute of Standards and Technology in, conjun in connection with the Manufacturing Extension Partnership to start that national supply chain database. It'll really help assess our national supply chain manufacturing and manufacturing capabilities and help us understand where manufacturers can retool production to meet urgent needs. So I'll tell you that I've, like I mentioned, I've been in, um, I've been in national security for many years. I, I, I haven't studied the supply chain. I, there are people that have studied national security supply chain issues but they just haven't been at the forefront like they are now. And I think some of this legislation, um, especially understanding better the national manufacturing database, uh, that I think is going to be really critical to understanding how we best support the domestic, domestic manufacturing here in this country. 
Uh, I don't know if you'll recall that when you and I had a conversation a week or more ago that I, I brought up about the Institute of Supply Management, the ISM. Yes. Uh, I, had, uh, I had notified them, uh, Mr. Tom Derry and uh, Tim Fiore and Anthony Nieves, that you might be reaching out to them and, uh, you know, who you are and, you know, what you're involved in. So I, I, I'm sure you don't have the time, but I just want to pass that on that I did reach out to them and uh, tell them of your um, uh, missions and uh, past and present. No, I will be doing that. Um, and uh, if, if I've also passed that on to my legislative team because we use all the resources we can to make sure that, that we have the understanding of um, what would be the best legislation. You know, how can we best right, help right. support this? So I, I thought that was a, a great, you know, from your, our discussion, that group sounded like it would just be great support for what we want to do. Absolutely, and they have uh, they've been around since uh, the late 30s, uh, working on uh, formulating reports on how the economy is doing in the manufacturing and services area, and they've been doing that now for you know 80, 90 years. So they know what they they know what they're doing, and they're they're good people, and uh, uh, I'm sure that you if you reach out to them, they'll be. Uh, quite responsive. Oh, so, thanks so much, and thank you again for making that connection. Not a problem. Not a problem. Uh, they may even be listening to the show. Uh, I've been told that <laughs> they, norm- they do do that, so uh, they've been now told uh, audio-wise. So what uh, what do you see as coming down the pike in terms of uh, – other types of policies that we've been, uh, our country's been accused, and again, I don't want to get into politics, but we've been accused basically of having no foreign policy, no trade policy, and that we are like a bobbing cork in the ocean. So this is something that, again, I feel, you know, I have really um, strong opinions on this one, simply because I worked... <laughs> I've worked all over the world. I've served all over the world in our military. Um, and it is so critical um, that we support our alliances, uh, our democratic, you know, allies, um, help promote the, not just um, our democratic views and ideals, which I think is critically important, um, to the United States and to the world. I, I, I just think democratic values really best support humans across the world. But I also think it's critical to, to the economy of the United States. The partnerships that we have, um, especially in this global economy, are only going to get more important. Um, and so to make sure that uh, we are partnering with some of the most innovative places on earth so that we here in the United States have access to that innovation and can continue to build on it. Um, something that I've been very concerned about is the uh, we have had for many years now um, the you know the preeminent college and university system in the world. People from all over the world have really come to the United States. The best scholars, the best people in their field from all over the world have come here to study and to teach. 
And I also uh, sit on the Science, Space, and Technology Committee. And we have held hearings. And, and our, many of our um, colleges and universities aren't seeing people that they would normally see coming here. People feel like we have become an unwelcoming country in many ways um, to the people that would study here. And without these brilliant minds to kind of fuel the innovation in this country, we're losing out um, to places like China and um, other countries across the world. So we really need to, I think, reinvest in ensuring um, we have the brightest minds here. But at the same time, and, and this is something that kind of crosses over between my Science, Space, and Technology Committee and my House Armed Services Committee, I think we do need to protect um, some of the innovation we have here, protect um, you know, protect some of the IP and, and technology that we're developing for um, the United States to flourish. So that's something else we're looking at. So these are some of the things on the table. I'll tell you something that was a real disappointment to me. I went and sat in a um, committee. I went and sat in a hearing on our, our national um, the, the national supplies that we had to fight coronavirus. This was back on I think March 12th, and I realized that we didn't have what we needed to support the country through the global pandemic. Um, the numbers were just too low, and I asked about it. I said, you know, well. Well, these these numbers seem really low. You know, I was thinking in my mind this could support Denville, but but not the country. So I I asked about it, and they said, you know, well nobody's even asked for it, anything from our from you know nobody's even asked for these supplies. So I went back to New Jersey, and of course they had. They gave me the spreadsheet of all the things they'd asked for. So I immediately went back and worked with a bipartisan group of people in the House to write to the the president and his administration to say please implement the Defense Production Act. In other words, please, you know, turn over our manufacturing base to things like producing masks and gowns and gloves and ventilators and all of the things that we desperately need to fight this, this virus. And it wasn't done. And I, I, I'm, you know, I thought there might be a misunderstanding because to me it was so obvious to lead us through this crisis we needed to use all the tools that we had in the United States. I think we, um, you know, looking at how we've gone through this, the number of cases we've had, the resurgence, it's just heartbreaking to me because I think the United States of America had the tools at hand to handle the outbreak of coronavirus better than anyone in the world. And unfortunately, we didn't utilize those tools. So I think what a lot of us are looking at now in Congress and coming up with legislation for is, how can we ensure that if we face any crisis like this in the future, we have a better plan going into it? And, and there's, two, there's two parts of that. One part is general crisis planning and how we use all the tools of our government to take care of the American people. But then, and, and this is probably comes from my military training, we also have to ensure that we're not fighting the last war, that we're not um, just fight, you know, coming up with a plan that would have helped us during the coronavirus pandemic. For all we know, it, you know, the next crisis we face is going to have nothing to do with a virus that attacks, in many cases, your breathing. So, you know, maybe producing gazillions of ventilators isn't going to help us in the next crisis. We have to be more thoughtful than that and work with our allies and ensure that our, and the reason we work with our allies is to expand 
the production of critical things that we need, um, not just here, but have redundancies throughout the world. So those are all the things kind of on tap, I think, um, for the future that we're looking at now. So uh, all of what you just spoke of demonstrates clearly about the lack of policy uh, that uh, our uh, government has uh, uh, been involved in more than more than four years, uh, going back many many decades, um, and uh, it, it, it obviously it takes its toll. So what you're suggesting, and I think rightly so, is to develop a business continuity plan for the government. How do we keep all this running? How do we keep all the the uh, uh, systems open, the trucking systems, the uh, supply chain as a whole, uh, it is critical to us. And uh, frankly, I don't see that they're really doing, that anybody's really doing anything about it now. Nothing's been implemented. Well, I think, except, you know, I think for, you're right. There's, yeah, go ahead, I'm I sorry. Think, well, I was just going to say, I think when you don't face the crisis, you know, a, a crisis, maybe, you know, you get, you don't put as much effort into the planning that you need to. So, so I think you rightly identified that there, that some of this planning should have been in place for, for many, many years. But then the second part of it is when you face a crisis, you're not, you know, I can't predict, for, I could never have predicted coronavirus, never in a million years, even in, even in December, if you had said to me, you know, in December, Mikey, we're going to have to shut down in New Jersey and quarantine everyone, I would have been shocked. Um, it, it just never occurred to me. I could not have, I did not foresee this in any way, shape, or form. I don't think most people did. So the fact that you have this possibility um, of, of something coming up that, that you need to meet the challenge of the day and you can't plan for every single challenge. There are those things that you have to be willing to do. And, and I would say that while there are, there are ways we, were, we could have been more prepared, we also didn't utilize all the tools we could have and should have at the outset of it. And so there was not just some failure of long-term planning, but I think a clear failure of leadership um, at the federal level. And that's what was so difficult in Congress to keep pushing out this is what we need to be doing and having this administration continue to fail to address the problem appropriately, um, which led to what does that mean on the ground? You know, why is that a problem for me? Because when we were in the middle of the crisis in April, we had the governor of New Jersey fighting to get PPE gear to New Jersey. We had the governors of many other states negotiating against him to get the PPE to their, their states. We had hospital systems using their own supply chains to try to negotiate for PPE gear. And then we had FEMA, you know, we would have hospital systems say, yeah, we're going to get PPE gear. We think a shipment's coming in in two days. I'd call them back to say, did you get your shipment? They'd say, no, a FEMA plane flew in to, you name the country, and picked it all up. And now we don't, we're not going to get it, and we don't know when we're going to get it. We couldn't track where the FEMA PPE gear was going. In fact, we, we've had these these FEMA flights that say they delivered all of this PPE gear to us in New Jersey, and we still, nobody knows where it went or if it ever got here. And 
and we've asked several times for FEMA to tell us where it went. And this has been months long, and they've never been able to. So this was, you know, there were some things that were long-term problems, but there were other things that could have happened differently that could have been solved in the short term. And as everyone who's ever been in any negotiation knows, when you have a million people vying for the same piece of gear, the price goes up tremendously. And that's what we experienced sure. as well. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I agree with everything you said, and that's mainly because that's the way it is. Uh, however, in the medical field, they have been talking about it for years, that there was going to be a major pandemic potentially yeah. hitting our country. So it's not like they never heard the word global pandemic and uh, totally unprepared and everybody wishing and hoping, you know, for the best. uh, And when the, when the best doesn't come, we're in trouble up to our eyeballs. And uh, I I agree with you. And there's got to be a way to fix uh, these things. And one of the ways obviously is to create a policy. Uh, I'll give you a short story. Uh, Five years ago, our manufacturing company, All Metals and Forge Group, um, was flooded out by the Passaic River, and uh, we were not allowed into the building or the neighborhood by the National Guard, and we were out of action for almost five days. Um, uh, Everything was out. The phones were out. Everything. Uh, we're not going to do that again. And we created a business continuity plan uh, shortly after five, maybe four years ago. And the first time we've had to implement it was when we shut down our business due to COVID. And everyone's working from home and they got printers, they got computers, they got the phones, they got complete uh, communication skills. And those who didn't have certain equipment at home, we bought it for them. And what's happening is that I don't know if we necessarily need need our uh, corporate offices. It's just wow. the, the employee, yeah, the employees are even working better together. They appreciate what each one is doing for each one. So it's an interesting uh, uh, side, an unintended uh, event that's coming out of this. And I think you're going to see lots of changes uh, once this goes away. I think you're right. So what's next for you on your your journey? You win the election, and then what happens? Well, well, I'm knocking on wood. Um, And then uh, continue, I think, to work hard to implement so many of the the things from the lessons we're learning now. And um, so, you know, we've talked about a few of them with respect to manufacturing and really child care and, and women in the workforce um, and then continuing to work hard. One of the things that, you know, there's several pieces of legislation that made it through the House but not the Senate. Um, we worked to repeal the salt tax cap. We put it through the House twice. We haven't gotten a vote in the Senate. Um, and then certainly supporting people with health care, uh, making sure that we expand access to health care and um, make sure people can pay for it. And we've seen, I think, through coronavirus, the results of too many people that haven't had long-term access to health care that have gotten very, very sick. And then the good, you know, one of the bright lights, too, is we passed a big infrastructure bill through the House. It hasn't 
gotten to the Senate, but it was very supportive of North Jersey, our needs with the Gateway Tunnel, the Portal Bridge, and some of the other infrastructure issues, high-speed broadband, which is critical across the country, including parts of my district. So um, I'm hoping that since that, you know, it takes a lot of work to get a, a large bill like that together, um, like our infrastructure sure. bill, a lot of committee hearings, a lot of testimony. So I'm hoping that because that bill's ready to go, um, we can we can pass that um, early in the next session. Well, we're going to keep our fingers crossed on uh, many of the topics that we've been talking about. Uh, I, I'm feeling uh, very comfortable with you and your position and your uh, uh, stamina and ambition, and, and I appreciate that. I appreciate your uh, prior and present service. And, uh, Tim, I'm going to turn this over to you. Mikey, I just want to give you an opportunity to share anything else that's uh, you know near and dear to your heart or on the on the uh, policy or political horizon that you'd like to share with our manufacturing listeners before we finish up and let you get back to the serious business of working in Congress. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I feel like in a short time we've touched upon so many really important issues. So, thank you again for having me. Um, and hopefully we're working hard now. Um, many of your listeners have probably been watching this, especially those who have small businesses that are, are struggling right now. We're working hard to get the next piece of coronavirus legislation, find that compromise. The House is, is putting – we just had another compromise suggestion yesterday uh, from a bipartisan group in the House. I'm just hoping we can get something through the Senate, um, including direct state and local funding and an extra round of PPP loans and to help people get through this critical time. But please reach out to my office uh, if you have any questions or we can be helpful. And, and thank you all again for having me. I really appreciate it. Keep doing a good job for us. I will always work hard to do that. <laughs> so thank you. All right. Okay. We'll, we'll talk. And uh, uh, I thank you uh, very much for being on the show. And uh, I'm sure that uh, our listeners uh, appreciate hearing that there are things going on in the government and not everybody <laughs> is just sitting back. So thank you again. Thank you. Have a great day. You, you, as well. you too. And we have been speaking with Congresswoman Nike Sherrill, who joins us from the uh, 11th Congressional District of New Jersey and spoke on a number of topics that we will highlight on Manufacturing Talk Radio at our website, mfgtalkradio.com. We certainly encourage everybody to visit that website, whether you go to mfgtalkradio.com directly or you go to jacketmediaco.com, which is the parent of six podcasts, Women in Manufacturing, which we mentioned a couple of times during this show, Manufacturing Talk Radio, Hazard Girls, which speaks on unusual roles of women in industry. Full-time with Amy Nicholas, who talks about that work-life balance that we also mentioned in this show, and you can see just how challenging that can be. Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman and Where's Willie with William Miller traveling the country and speaking to us from production floors. And as always, we appreciate listeners to this show, Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.